Welcome to First Generation Burden, a series of conversations with immigrants and the children of immigrants. My name is Rich Tu and I'm your host. So welcome to the third season. We've been on hiatus for about a year now, and it's good to be back. When I started this podcast about two years ago, I was under the impression that this would be a bit of a temporary thing. But now, every time I restart it, it feels like the conversation around immigration uh, just gets more urgent. So thank you for joining us again. We have a great first guest for season three. Her name is Ida Waldemichael. She's a creative director for Everytown, which is a great organization that focuses on gun violence. Also, she worked on the Hillary campaign. We talk about that as well. Um, a lot of her work really focuses in the world of political activism, and which is something which is close to my heart. So we have a really good conversation. But before that, I want to thank our sponsor, Desjin, again for their support. Desjin is an American modern gin with a mission to unite design with the spirit industry. Designed both inside and out, it merges the traditional and the unconventional. So thanks again to the Desjin team for jumping in on season three. So back to our first guest, Ida Waldemichael. We first met in the Dominican Republic, judging for the Art Directors Club Awards a few months ago. Also, we're on the AIGA Council here in New York, and uh, we talk a little bit about that, um, as well as her family's origins in Eritrea, uh, which is really interesting, and that's right up top. We also get into her experience on election night while she was working on the Hillary campaign, as well as the role of design within politics and social activism. Also, there's a point in the conversation where we're both wondering why Hillary was having her her election night event at the Jacob Javits Center in New York and why not D.C. But then, of course, only after the fact, I realized that she was a New York senator. So you don't have to you don't have to uh, send an email uh, wondering why we're both uh, brain farting about that. So without further delay, this is a really good one. Here's a conversation. You want to just talk right into the mic, like like kiss the mic. Like be as close. Like talk like this. Yeah, just talk like that. I can sit like this most of the time. Okay, you can also pick it up if you want. No, I have bad posture anyway. (laughs) Oh really? Oh okay. (laughs) I like like to relax. (laughs) Perfect. I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) No. What was the question? Oh, I'm. Oh, where I'm from? Oh, I'm Filipino. Okay, cool. Yeah, my parents came here in the sixties. Okay. Yeah, in the sixties, and um, uh, they come here separately, and uh, they had uh, they they met here. And after the death of uh, both of their uh, fathers had died mm. and they came here and to start a new life and then they met and then, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, babies happen. Mm-hmm. I should probably get rid Wait. of my gum too. Okay. Ida Waldemichael, thank you for joining us here. It's Thanks. a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. So welcome to First Generation Burden. Uh, we've just been sitting and chatting um, in my office here really quick. But uh, I would just love to just give a little bit of like a preface here. And I know you to be a very uh, conversational person as well as an intelligent person. And uh, we're both on the AIGA board. Yes. That's how we kind of know each other currently. But also we met judging at the ADC, at the ADC 97th awards at the Dominican Republic. It was a great experience. And uh, I thought you'd be an amazing uh, individual to to join us here today. So thanks for coming through. Oh, thank you. So kind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would love for uh, us to get started by you telling us a little bit of, about where you're from, where your family's from, and then uh, we can take it from there. Sure. I feel like I should just kind of go backwards in my life. I live here in Harlem. About 10 years ago, I moved to New York from um, the Washington, D.C. area, but I grew up in Arlington, Virginia. Very, um, 
very great area to grow up in, just like very close to DC is, um, you know, the city. I love cities. I, hence I ended up, hence I ended up here. Um, that's really where I grew up. A lot of my family's in the DC, Virginia, Maryland area, but originally my family is from Eritrea, which is a country in East Africa, but I was born here along with my twin sister. Nice. <laughs> Fun fact. So you were born okay. here. Um, you were born in DC. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what was the, what was the upbringing like? And also, um, also Tiffany Haddish is from Eritrea. Yeah, she yeah. is. I remember we, we talked about that very, very briefly. She ready. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so uh, uh, your nation, your homeland nations are getting a lot of uh, good love right now, which is really, yeah. really cool. Have well, you been back there? I've been twice. Oh, really? I went like the, the first time I went was when I had just graduated college, okay. which is kind of crazy. Um, and then I went again about three or four years after that. But yeah, so Tiffany Haddish, let's backtrack to that. That's kind of awesome. And she showed up at, I don't remember which award show in like our traditional clothing. So that was amazing to see her like in, um, just the traditional garb and putting us on the map. Uh, but I've had like lots of random conversation. People like, yeah, Tiffany Haddish, she's from Eritrea too. And like, not everyone knows about Eritrea. So it's so great. It's so great that she's proud of her heritage. But as of this week, something that's been so interesting is that um, Eritrea and Ethiopia have begun to have a lot of peace talks. Oh, and I so, just saw oh my that, gosh, actually. it feels so good. Wow. Um, so that I think is just like another another great feeling like right. Tiffany Haddish and then Ethiopia and Eritrea just being in the news again in like the most beautiful way. So that feels good. And just for a listener, like uh, Eritrea is in the, the African horn area. Yes. yes. Northeast Africa borders the Red Sea. And yeah. uh, have you gone back as an adult? You gone back as a kid? Like, what? yeah, I went back as an adult. So I was a, like, a, uh, I was in my twenties, I guess around the time that both times that I went, I have not been back since gotcha. but yeah my grandma was there um a lot of my cousins were there you just meet you know a lot of a lot of family um and that it it feels like it feels like home and like it now it would it would be different for me to go back because my grandma is no longer alive but she was just like a big part of uh me enjoying uh, growing up there but she used to also come here to the states and like stay for like months at a time and and hang out with us and take care of us when we were younger um in our in our um home in virginia um so yeah missed her presence but you know what that reminds me of me and my grandmother um, used to have a way of communicating hmm. that wasn't necessarily in a way that makes sense. Okay. Because I am not fluent in our language. I'm I'm so-so, you know, um, which is not something I'm particularly proud of as an Eritrean. And I wish I was better, but there was some way that me and my grandma knew how to communicate and she didn't know English well. Um, she would, she would um, describe French fries by pointing her three fingers together and telling me Danish, which means potato. And she'd be like, yeah, I, basically I want Danish, you know, and she'd show me the hands. Well, we had ways of communicating and I, I miss that. How different was that from the way that she would communicate with your parents? Oh, I mean, full on conversation, you know, right. using all, yes, in Tigrinya, which is the language. Okay. Yeah. So she would be, you know, using. What's the name of the language? Sorry. Tigrinya. Tigrinya. Yeah. Tigrinya. Um, but actually in my household, they also uh, spoke Amharic. My mom, her brothers, my grandma, because they also lived or grew up in Ethiopia. Got it. So, yeah. So wow. culturally, both sides present in my life. And um, your parents met in Eritrea and then they came here together. I would love to know a little bit about that. Well, that's a long story, but okay. let we, me give you time. <laughs> I know, but I guess it's abbreviated and maybe a little bit more um, complex. My um, mother 
came here fleeing the war between Eritrea and Ethiopia. That's how she ended up here. Two of my uncles were already in the States um, and she was seeking asylum. And she- What year was that? That was in probably 81. Yeah. And soon after she had me and my sister. So we were born in the States. You have any other siblings? Nope, just us. I was raised by my mother and my uncles and my family. So like how much of that culture- how much of that culture played into your upbringing, played into your... Oh, so, so, so much. You know, um, even though I said I'm not so fluent in the language, like you're, you're literally surrounded by my, well, my family was close. My uncles were always around, so they'd be having their conversations. The funny thing was that they would speak in Amharic, which is the language of Ethiopia, and uh, they would think they were speaking code. They would be like, oh, I didn't, Salma will not understand that, you know? But the truth was, we sometimes didn't even know the difference when we were younger. We would, you know, we would hear the language and we would take in parts and understand it, but we didn't know Tigrinya versus Amharic and we would just right. take it all in. So they they thought it was kind of like this this secret language. Um, so we were surrounded by that. We eat the f- uh, ate the food, which is in Jeddah, and it's delicious. But also within the DC area, there's a there's a lar- large population of Eritreans and Ethiopians. Um, my mom was very involved in our community, and I think that definitely rubbed off on me and my sister. We we're involved in like youth groups uh, for Eritreans. We would do stuff, of course, like learn about our culture, learn the language, but even do things like go visit colleges. Um, so it was a huge sense of community just in the family and just surrounding folks. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it was uh, good. When did, uh, when did a creative life start to enter into your, into your field of vision yeah. when you were a kid? Well, I had learned about two of my uncles who had never met though, but they, um, were in Eritrea and one of them was an architect and the other one, my mom said, would draw wheel- really well. So I always had these ideas in the back of my head or it's like you you start to try to make connections about who you are and you're like, oh, it's in my blood or, or whatever it is, you know. Um, but I had these Garfield comic books. Don't remember how I had them or why I had them. But on the I back- had Garfield too. I actually loved Garfield when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I And then I got cynical about it. I can't even speak to if I really loved the cartoon that much. I don't remember that much, but I remember this book and I thought the characters were so cute. Odie's so cute. You know, the dad dude is cute. Um, Normal. <laughs> every, yeah, everyone was just like cute. But on the back of this book, there were a ton of characters, like not like the usual characters. And there was this one um, cartoon lady that I would um, draw a lot. And I would draw it on like regular, you know. From Garfield. Yeah, it was on the back. She had like a, a gap in her teeth and like had some like old school um, hairstyle and a dress and some heels on. And I would draw her on like a little, what, what you know, the old line paper we used to use as school kids, right. color it in. And next thing you know, my mom would hang it up on the refrigerator. So like that was great for my self-esteem. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I think I'm good at this. What, what you know, it that's where it started. And that was me as a kid. And like, okay, what can what can I do with this? But really when I was in high school, I think there was always an idea of kind of like, I went to public schools, great public schools in um, Arlington, Virginia, but I was always trying to get, I guess, I don't know if it was that advanced degree. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it's like, yeah, fulfilling all the requirements, being a great student, X, Y, Z, all that stuff. But I wasn't taking any art classes. I didn't take my first art class in high school until my senior year. Oh, wow. Um, so either way, I still felt like it was a path, like, likely because my mother um, was very supportive and hung up my drawing of that lady in the Gar- Garfield <laughs> comic book. And also I loved math. I was really good at math and 
Um, I was like, well, what should I be? Should I be an architect, right? Remember the story about my uncle? Um, or should I do something else? And one summer I discovered desktop publishing. Sorry, I'm calling it that, but yeah. So Desktop publishing. And that, that, that was just basically like what uh, uh, from a program perspective? What you don't know you don't No, what is that? I don't know what that is. Are you kidding? No, Come on, I Rick. shit you not. That's like desktop publishing is the old school term for graphic design. I'm oh, like it's like really? I should be saying it with a whisper. Oh. Yeah. So des- desktop publishing. So I was a summer intern at a at a company one year and then last day or something we shadowed some of the um employees and I was like I'll I'll do the desktop publishers or you know I don't remember. I've actually literally never heard the term desktop. Seriously? Yeah, I kid you not. Come on. Yeah, like and uh, aside from just like uh something that was just like a like an old Windows ninety eight <laughs> type of like you know reference point of yeah yeah of you know literally publishing to a dot matrix pin- printer from your desktop uh, yeah that's that's my only reference of graphic design is literally a graphic design this desktop publishing is a segment within yeah and actually the program was Corel Draw does that ring a bell a little have bit. you heard of it yeah it was kind of like Illustrator. Um, so my goal was like, yes, I'm going to go, um, shadow them and I'm going to make a uh, invite for the end of our, or not an invite. Or, yeah. It was an invite slash kind of end of, end of party for all the interns. And it was in this butterfly shape and they helped me make it, you know, they threw some clip art down. I mean, it looked pretty good. Right. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Can, can I do something with this? You know? So that was, you know. And, and what year was this or how old were you at the time? This was, I think the end of high school. Got it. I don't know, somewhere between 17, 18, okay. perhaps. Yeah. 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 Y2K's right around the corner. Oh, yeah. Sheesh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so, so, like, such a distant memory. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I when, was I was, when I was in high school, and um, I had, like, that three-period block of, uh, like, AP art, and then mm-hmm. just regular art, and then... Uh, a study class was just basically art again. And then my, my teacher was like, oh, yeah, we have uh, Photoshop. And I was like, what is that? And the only thing he ever taught us to do was just like basic spray effects. Oh, no. Yeah. And then I was just like, what am I <laughs> even? Spray? <laughs> yeah. Like, what am I even looking at right now? Yeah. Um, and then it wasn't until I really realized like the power of, you know, the program uh, later, later in life. But yeah. uh, that was my first intro to, I guess, desktop publishing, I suppose. So then it means you were always drawing or doing yes, like, yeah, hands sure. on. Yeah. Yeah. Some some method of that or uh, something that was a little more tactile. And not, not until like in the past, you know, 15 years was more just like, oh, I'm, I'm really in, you know, Adobe. Yeah. You know. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Is it pretty cool, man? It I don't is. know. It is. Yeah. I always, I always am, I don't think jealous is the right word, but maybe a little bit of um, designers who have strong like illustration skills too. Oh, I suppose. I feel like the work is usually more unique um, and just more interesting. I feel like it kind of hampers a designer to be quite honest. like To where, not be able to illustrate or what do you mean? Oh no, where, where it uh, pigeonholes you a little bit. Where you get pegged as someone who's a, an expressive designer and then something someone who doesn't think quite as much in systems. And but look, mm. I, I, I love systems. Um, <laughs> and um, you know, like um, I'm all for... Uh, um, you know, I can lean into Eurocentric design principles for yeah. sure. You know what I mean? I believe in like the grid, although I do think the grid is uh, sometimes a, a tool for design oppression, to be quite honest, uh-huh. and like not necessarily like a, a, a democratizing oh, yes. tool. <laughs> I'm getting super lit right now. Like as, as an aside, I am developing a talk that I'm trying to give um, in a few months about uh, about the um, 
about design principles and leaning away from Eurocentric design principles in order to open up a more multicultural thought and using the grid as as a tool to to uh, democratize aesthetic Mm -hmm. and not as like, you know, a literal grid that that makes one think of right angles yeah i remember you telling me a little bit about that in dr oh really yeah and i was like man that's awesome and it's, was i getting and really it's, spicy about it because sometimes no, I uh, maybe a little bit but it was fine it, it's not like it was directed at me you're just directing it at it's um you're passionate about right. this thing um no i thought it was really interesting but i always um i think struggle as just a person who is american but also not american yes like how do you kind of um how do you as a person kind of take that on, you know, like right. in, in some way, like, am I as a designer supposed to take that responsibility? Can I, should I, I mean, that's a question, you it know, is, that's definitely or it's a like question. kind of like a, a personal feeling like, Oh, this is a big responsibility. It, it is. <laughs> you I, know? Yeah, no, it's true. And it's funny that we're talking about that now because with AIGA and, and, you know, the, the, the board, I think about the design responsibility within that context and, and everyone involved. And like, I think everyone there and like you being one of those esteemed individuals, like, I think we've, we've all kind of made the, the, uh, the quiet agreement that we are willing to take it on in some form or at least address it. Like for me, I think about like where design currently is, um, in terms of like commercial design, Mm -hmm. um, and then the demographics that are currently being sold to, um, I think traditionally, um, uh, demographics with disposable income didn't always look like us. Yeah. Do you know? So I yeah. think now that like our, our people that look like us and that like have our backgrounds and our shared like, you know, world history. Yeah. Like, and, uh, now that we, you know, have some money to burn, mm-hmm. I think companies now are, are under duress to be able to speak to us in a way that's meaningful. Yeah. Do you know? So I, I think that, um, th- that, democratization within design especially within commercial design is like more important than ever i think and it needs its curators and and unfortunately there are so few curators out there for it they really know what the hell they're talking about yeah that's true so how do you feel as an individual versus um being in a group where you feel supported do you feel like it's your personal mission to kind of put the message out or do you like collaborating with other people who have um similar ideas. I like, I like, and I'm asking that because I find it. So, um, I find that it, it makes me feel very vulnerable, you know, Oh, sure. and not that it's bad, but it's, it's exposing in a lot of ways too, you know? Oh, to open yourself up in yeah. terms of like what your actual, because like, it's personal too. Is, or, is, or no, yeah. I mean, it's personal and it's coming from a place where you realize that, you know, was, was completely missed or dismissed, oh. you know? Yeah. I, I think it is very personal. I, I think that, one can lean into uh, the history mm-hmm. and say the history has shown us that this is what principles of design are. Yeah. Or this is what, uh, this is technically what has worked for hundreds of years or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can always divert back to that. But I think that also goes to the conversation of uh, when one qualifies art, like, you know, the, the mm-hmm. old school conversation of, uh, of, of uh, calling African art, African art, just call it art mm-hmm. and like, don't qualify. That's so true. You know what I mean? Don't qualify it. Yeah. I just, if you say, if it's art to say it's art and mm-hmm. if you want to qualify just say it's art from somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's art from Asia, art from, you know, the Mediterranean art mm-hmm. from blah, 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 art from South America. Just, it, it is that. Um, and I think right now, since we are in a, in such a, 
um, like a, a world creative community. And here's like a really specific example. So I look at designers from Brazil, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, a lot of those a lot of those designers and creatives like really inspire me because I, I think of them as a uh, design Viagra. <laughs> Sometimes you know because like um, I think when I'm I'm stuck in a rut. And um, I, I look at um, design from South America, something about it. I don't know what it does. It speaks to me and, and helps me like reconfigure my brainstem in a way that wakes me up, yeah. you know? And, yeah. uh, and, and to me, it's a, it's an empowering place to be able to uh, like, you know, maybe not like, you know, on a one-to-one level be collaborating, but, but to be inspired by something like that. Cause I feel that that still speaks like the energy of, of, uh, of a non-eurocentric design thought yeah. is you know it, it, it opens up doors mm-hmm. um I, I find it quite empowering I'm, i'm my only place of vulnerability feels like when um uh, when maybe someone uh just throws uh you know mr or mrs professor talk at me mm-hmm. and then um in order to dismiss where your where your culture's design principles are yeah i don't know if that makes any sense yeah That makes sense. It's almost it's almost like this is the rule, this is the way, and it doesn't account and it doesn't account for anything else. Right. When yeah. you when you were coming up, like, what did you feel about, like, what what your how do you how did you separate your your personal preferences and your personal aesthetic yeah. towards like like wrestling that with your with your design thought? Because like you've designed yeah. for like really like a, like um, amazing like 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 political figures. Like you worked yeah. on the Hillary campaign, yeah. and I think that's something that has to be very. You know, that's a, you have to speak to like everybody. Yeah. So how do you how do you wrestle with that? Yeah. Well, we, yeah, you we do. Might be jumping to ahead. I don't know. No, it's fine. I do think you're. Yeah, yeah. You literally are speaking to every like every American, every group of people that you can think of, every age group, all that type of stuff. But um, of course, just like honestly, when you think about uh, a political campaign or and you think about most design work in general, you you think about things in terms of like audience or uh, working for a client. Right. You know, and if um, and if my role there, of course, because it is a political campaign is to serve the various audiences in the best way I'm able to do that. But it all, of course, starts with the system and the brand and right. and how it branches out. Like if it's for um, millennials, why should it look and feel this way? Why should it look and feel this way? And also, where should that message live? You know, and then right. you, you work with, like, say, the social team, the email team, whatever, to kind of uh, work things out in that way. Um I don't know if that answered the question. I feel like no. I think no. I think that's good. I what I would love to do is actually take a couple steps back. Yeah, and um, like learn a little bit about your upbringing uh-huh. within the design community, like after high school, like college, oh, yeah. and like and and what was your what was your guiding force? Yeah. In, in bringing you into the into the community. Yeah. Well, my for undergrad, I ended up going to Virginia Tech. Um, so huge state school. Um like four hours south of Washington, D.C., myself and my twin sister went there. Tuition was great. So that was a huge part of the decision. You know, my sister studied education. I went in the path of like going in the art department, art and art history, but they had a concentration in graphic design. Um, You know, the foundation was in fine arts. You do the ceramics, um, color theory, painting, drawing, all that stuff, sculpture. It was great. Um, And then got into your design courses, 
Um, the program was fun and it was really great and there were great opportunities, but there was all, oh man, I think it was during this time I remembered and it's, it's funny to be sitting with you because I was like, one day I'm going to work for MTV. (laughs) (laughs) That look on your face. But like, that was like, you know. It's a dream come true. Let me tell you every day. (laughs) Hilarious. But you know, like, well, that's the thing. Like you have these ideas and these dreams. And then as you, you know, you progress in your career, you you get older, you learn more, things change. Um, But anyway, so yes, that was in my head at that time. That was my dream. After I'm done with Virginia Tech, I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to work for MTV. Okay. This was in my head. Let's just frame that up that way. For sure. For sure. Um, And that's so funny. (laughs) And I would always have like really um, great internship experiences too in um, the DC area. And one time it was at the Corcoran Museum, Wolf Trap, Wolf Trap for the Performing Arts, um, all these types of things. And like, it was great to get exposure. But I think, of course, in those moments, you learn about yourself. You're like, okay, actually, what type of work do I like to do? And I really enjoyed both of those experiences. But right after undergrad, I decided to go to grad school because I wanted to go to art school and I felt like it would be a game changer for my career. Right. And that mattered to me. So I went to MICA, which is in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. well, I yeah. know a lot of great people from MICA. Yeah. So I ended up going there, um, did their grad program for um, two That's a years. rough area, is it not? Yeah, man, it is. I went there for two years. Yeah, I mean, Baltimore in general is is a, is a tough place. It's also just like very, for me, it was also like very gray and sad because it's like on one block, things seem to be thriving and on the next block, not so much, you know? Sure. It kind of affects you. Um, so that was mostly my path. And then- Let's see. Oh, my first design job. Shall we start about that? Yeah, I'd love to know that. Yeah, I worked at a company called HZDG and they're based, at that time they were based in Maryland. So like still within the DC uh, metropolitan area, but now they're in New York and many other places. Um, But it was a design studio. Uh, worked on so many different things. Like I loved dabbling in everything, make a logo one day, do a layout for something, airport, love that stuff. And so that that um, company allowed me that and I appreciated that so much. But the things I started gravitating towards were um, a lot of the nonprofit clients. Like I loved being able to work with beautiful photography or sometimes you didn't always have the resources or figure out how to print something with a limited budget and still make it look beautiful and make it feel like it's still deserve, deserving of the best um, Right. care and design um but i really think like that was kind of my natural step into probably kind of where my career has went now um and soon after went into nonprofit world was working at the clinton foundation going in houses like night and day from working at a um, design studio sure um but yeah and then more things happened after that what what is it about uh social justice mm-hmm. That that drew you to it because I think within what's fascinating to me about your about your work and your design life is that a lot of it lends itself I feel towards social justice and like those mm-hmm. issues and I mean in, in the current climate right now I think it's especially interesting but but yeah. it feels like uh, you you've been drawn to it for quite some time yeah I mean. It- I did, listen, I thought I was going to be at MTV. I don't know how this happened. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's funny because if I look at, if my old self or, you know, like my younger college self would look at myself now, I'd be like, no, I don't think, I don't think that's the path. But it's, I think just the idea of being exposed to these different things and allowing yourself to, to shift in terms of your career um, is how 
this all happened. But say your question again. I feel like I it escaped me. Um, it was just like social justice. Oh yeah, just what what draws you towards social yeah. justice within within your career? Because you yeah. you've been in that world for a minute. Yeah, you know, I think as a designer, it's like one of the one of the most satisfying contributions, at least for me as a designer. I feel like to make a message message heard, to change the way somebody behaves, to educate somebody on an issue. And it's almost like you think back to like uh, sexy posters that we as designers like love. Right. Like nine times out of 10, a poster is trying to tell you something in the most concise and cool way. Yes. And in some ways, I feel like so- social justice is that right. in a way, you this know, is one of the, this is one of the few cities, New York City specifically, where I can, uh, you'll actually see posters in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, like you'll actually see, a, oh, that's a poster. That's cool. Or like, you know, I just saw today. Um some stuff walking uh, by the mantra stop on the L. I was, uh-huh. I was like kind of blown away. It was, it was hot as hell. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I still even love looking at all like the wheat pasted posters. Yeah. I think it's so amazing. The texture adds yeah. something. It's beautiful. Yeah. But I also think like what you said earlier about the idea of the grid and um, that, that we've learned that and kind of almost undoing that and learning other ways and facets right. towards graphic design. I think, I think this is kind of my way of doing it too. You know, it's like, this is very much a part of me. I would say even in terms of uh, my culture, I think about my mom's story, my country's story, and just how even from, you know, the eighties when my life started to now and in, in seeing what has happened even between Eritrea and Ethiopia. Right. Um, and like the kind of the, a political conversation always being present, like in the background, I may not have been a part of it as a kid because like, I never even considered myself somebody to, to like so fluidly talk about politics and, and all that, but it was always kind of in the background. And in some way, I think even just like serving your community and being out there, it's become a natural part. I think of my design life, you know, in, in some way. What do you think that, what what do you think are some of the most powerful, uh, graphic design moments within politics like what wait when you what do you when you think about like some of the effect of most effective imagery like i guess for me like one of the most effective images is i guess the hope image from the obama campaign like oh, regar- yeah, yeah, regardless of, of whatever the the history is of that like yeah. in terms of sheer effectiveness yeah you know like to you what speaks to you in terms of what in the landscape wow that's so, that's a tough one yeah, it is a tough because one. the landscape is so saturated now. Like Obama changed the whole political game. He did, yeah. You know, I have this great book and uh, the name of the person who did it is escaping me, but it documents the entire um, design process for Obama's um, campaign. And that was great to see at, to see, not only to see like how much design evolves. Cause you know, when you look back at stuff, you're like, wow, websites looked like that back then. And oh, you yeah. see the- Like the Space Jam website. <laughs> or you see like, like, look at that. <laughs> you see some like uh, gradients on buttons you're like wow it looks so cool then you know (laughs) or like all these things that kind of um evolve but the thing that you said is like hope stuck with you or there are these messages that continue um i think to stick with you and i think that's what mostly stands out in terms of politics because honestly most of the time it's red white and blue and when it's not or not green you know and it doesn't look like toothpaste and a star then you're like oh okay how's this different why is it different but um maybe forget even political design. I think a lot of just organizations who are doing advocacy work, Planned Parenthood stuff is awesome. You know that pink from anywhere. Yeah, You see that pink, you're like, who's that? Planned Parenthood. Like, I love that about um, their brand. 
Um, and I love that they have such a strong, just there's a strong feeling about everything that they do. Can I ask how you got involved in the Hillary campaign? Um, yeah, sure. Like how did um, that enter your life? I, so I was working at the Clinton Foundation. That was my first nonprofit job. And of course, just through um, your network, your network grows. Um, a former colleague of mine who was running a department then and who I'd worked closely um, with. Um, so actually, it's it's funny because I was so naive. He calls me and he or he's, he emails me like probably two sentences. OK. Hey, Ida, how's life? <laughs> um, and by this time, I'm working at um, in-house at a tech company. And uh, so I, you know, moved on out of out of this kind of nonprofit or political world, and I was trying something different. Um, how's life? Uh, do I might have an opportunity for you? Would you like to chat? That's it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, yes. Um, so we're chatting, and he, and he's like, hey, Ida, you know, um, you know, Hillary's um, going to be running. I'm forming uh, a team. You know, X Y Z, telling me all the details, and I'm taking like vigorous notes like oh my gosh you know so much information and like I always like to be on top of my stuff know everything I'm getting into and you know just like look at it later and oh you're so organized I am <laughs> um but I I go to him um so what so what are the hours you know I'm like could I let you know I was like you know I'm at I'm at a different company now so like can I uh is it like part of the day is it like a few times a week and he's like Ida no, you know, something along the lines. It's like, it's like, this is like working long hours every right. day. You're you trying know? to change the course of history. Yeah. But the thing Literally. is, I didn't know about political campaigns. I was in the nonprofit world. They are different, similar, but different. So, um, so it was just kind of like, a, a, it was new, but I was like, yes, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. Or, or like, I was really just, I think, trying to wrap my head around this opportunity. Um, also too, something that's interesting is when you take a campaign job, there's an end date. Um, so I think sitting with the fact that your job is done by a certain day, right. not by your choice, but by somebody else's was new, but it was probably one of the best things that could have happened to me as well to know, like you've done the best you could and now we're all going to move forward. And, and it also meant like, um, for a person who's very organized like myself, a chance to kind of uh, be a little bit free and live with the unknown and kind oh, of be okay yeah. with that, you know? What was it like working with uh, Michael Beirut and and the Pentagram team? Were they were they close and lockstep with the whole situation? Um, well, they started, or they did the logo and the brand guide. Okay. Um, when I started, I was a second designer on board. Um, Meg Vasquez was the first designer. She had some background. She, was, she had came, came from the DNC. So like me and her both had like a network of people who were also working in other capacities on the um, campaign. So it wasn't truly a surprise that, in my opinion, that we um, both were there. But soon after, our design director, Jennifer Kine, enjoyed. So Jennifer um, has her own design studio, OCD, and oh, she yes. used to work with Michael Beirut. Yeah. And OCD did the branding for the VMAs. Oh, yes, which was so awesome. Yes. Um, so um, Jennifer came on. And she was the third person to come on. She was design director. She had worked with Michael Beirut in the past. And Michael um, was helping to pick the design director. And he was very set on having Jennifer be the design director. He recommended her highly and spoke highly for her. I was not part of that process. But so I did not um, meet with Michael at all at that point. Um, but Jennifer, you know, we had the brand guide. Jennifer took the brand guide. Um, you know, we evolved it as a team collectively. Right. Um, he did come in and talk through the sketches 
for the H logo with um, with the design team as well as some other folks um, on the campaign who worked within the digital team, which is kind of the group we were within. Um, but it was it was just so it was it was nice. Yeah. So yeah. You know, it's really funny at the AIGA. Uh, hello goodbye oh, yeah. drinks and then i first walk in and uh for the listener um like the the board recently just turned over at least for the new york chapter right and uh and ida you you've been a part of the board for how many years now i'm on year two now you're year two? Oh, yeah. gotcha cool that's awesome <laughs> and uh and i was very excited to be a part of the board as as everyone who's coming in new is and i'm walking in and it's very dark and then i see ida across the room and i was like oh hey ida so i'm waving to you and then um a little chit chat happens in my ear and then i walk over and then he introduced me to michael beirut and then uh i didn't realize like things hadn't registered in my brain <laughs> nothing was connecting i wasn't firing on all the cylinders i should have been firing on and then uh then michael shakes my hand and he's like hi like my name is Michael. I was like, "What, Michael? Huh?" <laughs> and then I make him repeat it a couple times, and then everything started like snapping for me. And I was like, "Oh, hey, Michael Beirut." And then uh, I could tell he just wanted no piece of me. <laughs> oh, stop. His awesomeness is not lost on me, even though I was sitting there having a conversation. Right. Like you know, Ida from college was freaking out inside. Like this is amazing. <laughs> You know, the first time I saw him speak in public, he was doing a master series, I think, with uh, Stephen Heller. Uh-huh. And Stephen Heller is someone who he gave me my first gig way back in the mm-hmm. day when he was still at the New York Times. And uh, I had had an unhealthy uh, obsession with Stephen Heller and his career because I thought uh-huh. he was so prolific. And then, and then Michael Beirut, I was very enamored with him too. And yeah, like it was, yeah, it was kind of cool. It was like, oh, hmm. Shaking my hand, like, nice dude. Um, wish I'd been a little bit smarter, on, <laughs> more on the ball in that moment, but it was, you know, whatever. Happens. It's fine. I'm sure I'm sure it's going to happen again. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'll be weird around him again. <laughs> Not that. Not that. Um, so, uh, so uh, also, I, I have to ask, like, like when when Election Day happened. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like what was what was the tone? Because for me, I, I, I was in bed for at least two days. I yeah. I was living in Oregon. And uh, and then I started this podcast out of rage, to be quite yeah. honest. It, it was like, what, what was the vibe? What was the feeling? Um, on election day. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think we spent a lot of time working, right? So that day, half of the design team was present. The other half of the design team had been out in the States canvassing. So already- Canvassing, what does that mean? Oh, canvassing means you're going, um, knocking on doors, talking to constituents, reminding them to vote. And also being uh, available to answer questions, but also remind them to vote for your candidate. Right. Um, So that was the main goal. So- Half the design team is gone. Also, half of the campaign office is gone doing the same thing. So if you can already imagine, like, you know, you're you're missing like half of your heart in some of a way, you know, the people that you work so closely with, it's all come down to this day. Yeah. And now you're separated, you know. Um, but a few of us were still working at the office. Um it was business as usual for the most part during the day. Like, you know, we had a few design projects, but it wasn't busy, you know, like, oh, what are we posting on social today for election right. day? Um, we call it GOTV, which is get out the vote. What kind of GOTV graphics or promotion do we need to be working on today? Um, so that was that. Um, and of course, there's uh, something called rapid response in days where special days such as election day or say when there's something like um 
a debate. How right. how can we quickly respond and make things, you know, uh, for whatever channels we're supporting on email, on social, um, in the States, on their social channels, all that type of stuff. We right. were always prepared. And so rapid response was also happening too, which right. just a small focused group of um, people. But I don't remember the time that we had to go now, but we had to go over to the Javits Center because okay. that was where, you know, the announcement would happen and we okay. would see just everything coming in. Um, so we get there and, uh, you know, you, you see everyone, um, of course your colleagues, but you just see people who are supporters and then they're there and people dressed up. So it's, it's like, you know, the feeling is electric, the feeling's electric and you feel optimistic, but the day was weird in general. You know, you're again, half of the office is gone. You have to go to this place. This is a big day. It's just, yes. the energy is a little different. Um, so then we go to the Javits Center. We're excited, excited. Um, I kind of don't remember how, but it's like you could stand um, just below and look up at the stage. And the stage was in the shape of the United States of America. It was like pretty beautiful how it was like cut out in the shape. Right. And that was where Hillary would make big her. Big production. Yeah, big production, looked beautiful where Hillary would uh, make her speech. Keep in mind the Javits Center has a glass ceiling. So you know what that means? You know, we, it was all about the concept of Hillary smashing the glass ceiling, you know, oh, as a woman. So yeah. So, so like, interesting. Yeah. So there was a lot of thought in terms of the venue that was chosen um, by the part of the team who did that. And uh, so we're there. Is there a choice or is there a specific thinking about having it in New York as opposed to D.C.? as well you know i'm not really sure how that decision is made but i'm gonna guess that because headquarters was in new york we're right. in brooklyn that that's that's why got it, um got it. so oh yeah that makes sense actually yeah i think yeah. it I and think also it makes the clans like they had set up shop in harlem as well and that was yeah the found office was there or like personal office um is is there or was there yes yeah and they they live in upstate or just like outside of the city got it um where am I going with this? Oh, yes. Okay. So outside of the design team, we were rolling around together, you know, talking to people. And then it was time to like sit down and take everything in, watch watch the, the numbers come in. Yeah. Uh, we ended up sitting on the bleachers. And when you're sitting on the bleachers, it was bleachers that were on the stage. So from my perspective where I was sitting... I was, would be behind the speaker on the stage, you okay. know? So kind of like background, uh, you know, rah, rah, rah people. But I could also see the screens and I could see the entire crowd. I could see the press risers directly across from me. So all these lights kind of shining that way. Um, but the the thing that I remember is just seeing the numbers come in and just being in disbelief. I'm like, no, like, no, this can't be. But also feeling like, are people really this crazy? Actually, I felt a lot of fear. I felt a lot of fear because I was like, it can't be going this way. Right. It can't be going this way. This person cannot be the person who people would trust to run our country. Right. Like, And I was just like, what does that even look like? Like right. in my mind, that was so unimaginable and so scary that, yes. you know, my mind was like, no, people have more sense than that. It felt, it felt that. apocalyptic. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Um, so the numbers came in. Of course, uh, things went how they went, which was not positive. Um, and John Podesta came on stage, made a speech, at which point he told everyone, you know, to go home and Hillary would have, um, I guess, words in the morning or something. So that was that. So it's like, you think about working on something, I guess it was a year and a half, and then having it all kind of culminate in this moment. Sure. And kind of you're just left hanging and um, 
and not even personally, but just like you think about your future and your, you know, the future of our country, the hard work you've put in. And I don't know, the, the day was so different, I think, than any of us probably expected Expect, I, for me. Um, and the next day, uh, Hillary did her concession speech. She wore purple. And it was kind of the symbolism of, you know, the Democratic and Republican colors coming together and the idea of, um, I guess, unity, you know, Um, she did this amazing speech, uh, didn't have a tear or even a voice break that I could hear or notice. And just not even all the staff could go and hear it. Yes. Only a few could get in. Um, But it was heartbreaking because it was a woman who took this loss with such grace and, Mm -hmm. um, I think she deserved way better, you know? Um, so, so yeah, that was, that was the day. Um, but to be honest, you know, despite the negative outcome, I feel like it has everything to do with, uh, why I'm still kind of in this space, you know, whether it's politics or like nonprofit or kind of, um, social design and advocacy. So like, yeah, now I'm at every town and I've been there just, just about a year and, that is a, a huge organization that's working in the gun violence prevention movement. Right. Yeah. So just working there, I think a lot of the thinking and framing just from political campaigns and a bit of my nonprofit world has totally related here. But you think about um, different things that happen in our world, rapid response when something, um, when something even as far as last night as um, the Supreme Court uh, nomination happening. Uh, can we oh, bring, yes. can we bring awareness to that? And like, you know, it doesn't directly tie into our movement, but we do need to make, uh, our audience aware of things happening that could affect, um, the subject. Right, so like, right. that's like on a very surface level, but like 96 Americans die, um, due to guns every day. So like wow. 96 per day Americans. And, um, I think a lot of what we hear about, um, varies. I mean, you think of the pulse, uh, shooting, which was in um, Florida, and that affected a huge Latino community. You think about, of course, the Parkland kids, which is yep. more recent, and that, uh, you know, there's conversation. It was a diverse group of kids, but most of the kids who speak out uh, were white kids, but you think about March for Our Lives that happened, and you heard a lot of diverse um, voices um, then. Um but gun violence really affects people in different ways and it affects communities of color disproportionately. Yes, for sure. Yeah. What do what do you think the what do you think the 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 potential solves are? I guess solves is even isn't even the word. Like what what do you is there anything that's happening positively within the space yeah. that that's uh, that's allowing for light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. Or is is it or do the numbers just dictate that they truly are getting worse and worse mm-hmm. all the time? Well, I think the numbers say like, oh, this is bad. This is an issue that we need to work on and yep. it needs a lot of attention. Um, but there are solutions. Uh, getting uh, involved with what your your state reps are doing and understanding where they stand on gun issues and policy is the first place to really start um, to vote. Uh, for them or not for them or whatever is also midterm elections coming up yep so you know that your your voice matters in those moments and like even you know down to these little issues if this is an issue that um you care about this is a way you can you can um fight back 
but also just being aware, you know, you can follow every town. And also right. the interesting thing about um, every town is that Moms Demand Action is also the field arm of every town. So every town is uh, the researchers and the fact finders that are going through um, gun laws and uh, picking them apart. And the Moms Demand Action team are working throughout the states and who are going and knocking on the legislators door and handing them petitions and forcing them to change forcing them to change the law so it's like um it's like these two things can't work without each other but like if somebody wanted to get involved on the grounds they could join their local moms demand chapter it's not just for moms hmm. <laughs> yeah listen uh hear that brent kavanaugh <laughs> hear that yeah so um, there's not yeah. a way to get involved um but you know also it's just that there are um the world has expanded in a way in the gun uh, violence prevention movement that students are, you know, students have taken a huge um, moment now to 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 have their voice be heard. And that's been really inspiring. And like, you know, if somebody is of that demographic, just like follow them, you know, right. they're doing great things. Totally. too. When you, when you think about like a pendulum swing, right? Yeah. And like how the red and blue wave and the way that pendulum swings yeah. when it comes to something like gun violence, is that a pendulum or is that just something that just, you know, slowly ticks in a, in a yeah. specific direction? Ugh. Does that make any sense? I mean, it does make sense, but you know what? I, um, I've been asked that before or like when, when I've talked about this with just people in general, it's sometimes it's like wrapped up in like, oh, is it Democrat or Republican or just like, of course, different things affect how somebody is going to maybe handle the issue who, right. you know, folks who are making decisions in different states and, and running their states. Um, but it's like as a person, like to sit with this and know that if it affects that many people. Like, that's not even about politics. That's yeah. just, like, common sense and, like, human decency, yeah, you know? Yeah, for sure. Human so decency. It's like, yeah, and it's like, you don't want this to happen to people. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you, when it comes to when it comes to your current design life, yeah. and your current creative life, sure. um, is uh, is there room for personal personal work? Like, like how do you, uh, how do you, how do you create outside of uh, social justice space? Yeah. I was doing, um... Some personal work here and that, here and there, but I've, it's kind of um, died down. Focused on uh, AIGA sure. a bit. Focused on the day job. Um, How'd you get involved with AIGA? Oh, well, the Hillary for America design team ended up doing um, a talk. We we did the story of life as a campaign designer, basically, and Got each it. person kind of spoke to a different moment to kind of create the full story of what it was like. Um, but through that really kind of met a met AIGA folks in a different way, because I had always been in AIGA since like I was a student, um, you know, involvement, I wouldn't say was always like, I'm going to this thing, but I was always a member and I found uh, it a great resource. Um, but that was how I met uh, Kim and, or Kim and I had went to Mike to Micah together, but Kim was involved in putting that, event together and Renda and of course Stacy. So like talking to people a little more and learning about their role on the board too was literally how that happened from that event. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like really re rewarding actually. Like it was, it was funny when we were when we were in the DR uh -huh. and uh we were chatting just a little bit about it and I just and I realized you were on the board. I was like, "Oh, I applied to that." Uh-huh. I know. That was so fun. And literally the day before I read your name. Yeah, you know, it's so weird. Well, well, it wasn't weird. Like yeah, that. I know. And it's like, oh, hey, here's hey, your face today. <laughs> it's like when you learn a new word, or you, it's like you see it all the time, or something. You right. know what I mean? 
right, it just right, appears. Right. I guess that happens with people too. Yeah, um, no, it's true. Yeah, so that that was that was funny. I read your name the next day I met you. Hi, Rich. <laughs> I was reading about you yesterday. Your work is awesome. <laughs> Thank like, you. Oh. I appreciate that. Sometimes I wonder like where my where I even exist within that space, just because I feel that. Like I've always been uh, an ADC guy uh-huh. and ADC to mm-hmm. me feels like a, sp- a specific space yeah. or a different or, or I don't know. Like I the, get you. Do you know what I mean? I an completely AIGA get feels you. feels like a specific space. Well, actually, let me ask you this. Why did you or how did you end up joining the board having even said that? Well, for me, the, the AIJ, I think it represents something. I think it represents history. Yeah. Uh, I think it also represents structure. It, it was a place that people always respected for some, you know what I mean? Like the roots, the foundation. Yeah. Is that what it is? Like yeah, tradition? Maybe. Uh-huh. But then a- ADC was more about personalities uh-huh. um, because they have like their, they have their, um, their, uh, what is it? Their hall of fame uh-huh. or whatever. And then everyone gets inducted and all that stuff. And then AIGA, they probably have their own hall of fame. I don't exactly know, but. But you got involved young because you were young guns, right? I was, yes. So was that how, but how did you even know as like a young I mean, I don't know how old you have to be to Young Guns. I'm uh, guessing I have to be 20- under 30. 30 right oh. Now. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's why you're quote unquote a Young Gun. Yeah. Uh, the way I got involved with Young Guns because my brother-in-law, Jason Atienza, won it in Young Guns 5. Oh, and wow. They're on 16 now. Yeah. And he lives in Shanghai now and he's dope. He's doing a lot of great work with Jordan uh-huh. Brand. And uh, he has also, um, he and his beautiful wife, Annie, just gave birth to uh to uh, a son. And uh, I've, I've yet to meet the, li- the little human being. Yeah. But um yeah, there. Uh, he kind of put me on to the ADC, uh-huh. and also kind of put me on to SVA, where I went to grad school. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so that that turned into you know you know one is setting a goal for myself to yeah. win Young Guns. Then he ended up getting it, and then I sat on the Young Guns board for a few years with a lot of great people. Like uh, Dana Tanamichi was on that mm-hmm. on that first board that I sat on. Justin Genex, so I met Justin. Um, and, uh, let's see, oh, Dress Code was involved. I remember Michael Freemuth, but like, uh, after he was at Sagmeister and like a lot of great human beings. Um, and, and then I got to be the chair. Worked, oh, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, for Young Guns 11 and, uh, got to work with Grand Army on that one. And then I kind of took a step back, um, you know. Uh, from that world. Well, I was always a part of it. You know, I was always part of the family. Yeah. And then when I moved to Oregon, I had my going away party at the ADC. Uh-huh. It's also, to be quite wow. honest, yeah, but then I turned the ADC into like, you know, like a club. Like, and, and you I mean had, like, you, no, 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 like PR? <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I love <laughs> about the, the judging. PR. After the judging, for everyone listening, the judges, uh, were you, were you and Kenny out there like clubbing it up? I don't know. Sometimes, but not really. <laughs> I was trying to get some water and some sun. Oh, Because we really? missed it most days, you know? Gotcha. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember Sagi would be out there. Like, yeah. Morning swims. You know, so like, did yeah. you get your morning swim in? Yeah. Oh, yeah, about an hour. That's awesome. Yeah, but he, I feel like he was he's a sun dweller, though. Yeah. There, there are a lot of sun dwellers on our, <laughs> in our crew. Yeah. Um, I was more of like a, a night owl. Yeah, you were. Yeah, for sure. But then, but the way they, they set but up the whole thing. that was your family. Now, I, now it makes sense. Because it, it was, there was like an understanding between you guys. But I didn't really, with like some of the ADC dudes. And I didn't know like how long some of you guys had probably oh, known each really? other in background. Yeah. Got it, got it. Oh, because yeah. I think probably my involvement in ADC is kind of light touch. And I'm looking forward to being more involved there. But, and oh. I think I've always been like more in the, 
AIG era. I'm probably opposite of you. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure, um, for sure. Uh, yeah, well, like those guys, like uh, Brett, Louis, Michael yeah. O'Rourke, like those dudes. Like, pff, man, I could rage with those dudes. Like, no yeah. doubt. Like yeah. to me, it doesn't even feel like. Uh, like a design thing, an art director yeah, yeah. thing, like an advertising thing. I feel like, oh, those are just the dudes. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, I love those guys like going all, you know, like way back a couple generations. Yeah. Um, oh, wait, let me ask you a question. Yeah, so like sure. you were saying uh, your brother-in-law kind of really showed you a bit of the ropes. Like, yes. okay, here's what's up with SVA. Yes. Here's this thing, ADC. Yes. So like, how do you, or do you feel a responsibility to, to do that with younger designers or? Oh, absolutely. Do do that? Yeah. I think that's part of what this is. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of why I like to give talks. I think, mm-hmm. I think it's an energy thing for me. I feel that even before the con like the political conversation yeah. is what it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, I always felt the need to to represent the what my what my base set of preferences are from a design aesthetic yeah. and from a way of thinking because I knew that there are people that weren't dissimilar to me. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh I, I think that uh you know like I, I like what I like and I like to create what I, what I like to create. And I think it's valid and I believe in the validity and I I think it's worth, um, showing, um, uh, showing these kids like, uh, like at, at SVA, right. At Mm -hmm. SVA. uh, And I went there, so I I speak no ill will of SVA, but, but the, the, a lot of students there are pretty well off. I, yeah. I, th- I think that's that's kind of understood, okay. right? A lot of international students. Art school is also pretty expensive. Art school's super expensive. I do think it's worth the investment, but it's expensive. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I love SBA. It's my alma mater. I'm going to give it a talk there tomorrow. It's going to be great. Everyone show up. Just kidding. This, <laughs> you guys will hear this way after that happens. But um, I did a, I taught a semester at Kane University mm-hmm. um, in uh, in Union, New Jersey. Okay. Right? Um and the thing a design that, course it's a design course yeah it was it was a one day or it was, uh, every Friday it was like a full okay. day thing and I would just work during the week and on Friday would just be understood that like don't talk to Rich on Friday because he's teaching yeah yeah right but the thing that I loved about Kane was that it was a state school or it uh-huh. is a state school and all the kids are local um the kids come from homes like you know like blue collar homes yeah um and you'd have the range of you know uh um like the the kid from kenilworth who who like you know who has a lot of great potential he just want but he you know just he needs to go see a few things he, yeah. just, he just needs to go to the city a couple more times and yeah. just kind of like awaken himself yeah or you have the one kid who probably doesn't work so hard and trying to skate by, mm-hmm. um, but you know pro- uh, probably comes from a home that doesn't necessarily nurture a creative spirit. Yeah. But he kind of wants to do his own thing and everything in between. Yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? But those kids just felt so real to me. Yeah. And they felt like genuine kids, and as opposed to like a lot of kids I would encounter attending SVA, uh, where you know it just felt like they were they knew where they were, they knew what they mm-hmm. wanted to aspire towards, like. You know, like, there, like there's something about the kids at Kane that I felt like you you could unlock more. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And there there was more of like a puzzle to to solve. Yeah. Um, Do you think it was like also less exposure to design in general too? From absolutely. Them? Yeah. Absolutely. That's part of it. Yeah, and I, I think that's you know, uh, and like I'm I'm not the most you know uh, I'm not the most clean cut guy. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not the most clean cut guy, and I'm and I'm very approachable. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, I'm I'm in my office wearing a tie dye t shirt. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I'm technically I like that t shirt. Oh. Fool's gold. That's an album. Yeah. Oh, that that's a that record label. They're oh, based. That's what it is. Yeah, now and- it sounds so not hip. <laughs> Let me shut up. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, and then I, I was at uh, I was at the Fool Gold's Fool's Gold day off yeah, a year ago cool in Coney mark. Island. Yeah. So um, you know and. Uh, a lot of these kids, I feel, just need to have a, a different voice in yeah, their yeah, lives. Yeah. And I, something about my DNA makes me feel that I can contribute a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe but it's also nice stupid. to have different voices in the room. And I feel like that's like the constant conversation in workplaces. Right. And like, yes, it's necessary, but it's such an exhausting conversation. It is exhausting. You know? Because like, I think from my perspective as a black female designer, yes. it's like, yes, like, forget even just design like even sometimes in uh just various classroom settings or right. whatever it's like why am i one of five or you right. know of uh, you know black women and it's just like it's so old and it's not even something i think in those those moments you know you would talk about outwardly now it's there's so much responsibility on organizations or companies yes. to do something about it but it's it's exhausting not it until exhausting. 10 years into my career did i work with another black designer wow. and we were both like have you ever worked with one? No. Have you ever worked with one? No. Oh my God, this is amazing, you know? And it's like, are you a unicorn? <laughs> yes. You know? But it, but it's it's also like, um, so it's like you just want to have somebody you can, you know, you you are on some same wavelengths together with yes. and just talk as a community too, totally. you know? So can I ask like as a as a female black designer yeah. like what what do you feel pressure upon yourself do you put pressure upon yourself to 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 represent and also to to you know to have a voice um in your community that in your design community, community creative yeah. life that that, yeah. that that speaks to your background Well I think it's um sure but I also think um mostly the way I handle it is I think it's my responsibility to say something yes. literally you know literally you ever brings get in trouble for it because I get in trouble for being spicy all the fucking really? time. Really? Well, I didn't say spicy. See, I don't mean being spicy. I mean right. bringing up something that like- Got it. Oh, that, say, see, okay. that, oh, I just put some shit on. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but, no, but- Fair enough. But I think sometimes when um, when we do call out something that may be uh, sensitive to, say, the black community or to a woman who is black or whatever yes. I might say or, or feel, the- I do find that I want to be tactful when I bring it up, but also you want to be honest and it doesn't have to be something you get mad about with somebody. Honestly, like everyone has uh, biases that they don't even know about. And, but the, like an interesting um, conversation happened with uh, one of my former colleagues at a previous job, but we work together now too. And I said, Hey, I can't, um, I wasn't sure, you know, you posted this graphic, you know, it said this, this, and this, I think it would be, I feel, felt like it was completely dismissing something that would be hypersensitive to the mm. black community. She's like, really? I know. She was like, okay. She was like, thanks for bringing it up. You know, she's like, I didn't realize it. Um, but it's like you, you have to start to have the dialogue and then you can kind of go deeper and keep going and make it like a common thing. But also just like, it's really great that, you know, people who are running uh, teams also just be very transparent about that stuff. If they talk about it outwardly too, like, yeah. you know, that, that makes the space. It's just like, hey, this is this is literally us talking about audiences too, really, you know. Yeah. And like, why not? Why not me bring some of my personal experience or personal who I am into this um, and shed some light on maybe how this can be, you know, misconstrued. 
Right. Do you yeah. think do you think representation and matters of representation, at least within the design context, do you think it's getting better? I don't know. I yeah. really don't know. It's hard for me to tell. What do you think? I, I, I feel that there are I feel like there are new voices all the time. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, I think that the new voices are constantly put under pressure to to exist within a pre-existing system. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, fair. Yeah, I, but that. But that said, you you, you kind of need harbingers all the time in order to to even break through. Yeah. Go back to the glass ceiling situation. Yeah, but actually, you know, when you really think about us, like I'm sure you have responsibility of hiring people now. Yes. You know, as do I in certain um in certain moments. Yes. Um. So like. Truly, it's also like on us, like, okay, if we have an opening, who are we bringing on? And are we just going to search for somebody who is not only a great designer, but also adds something different to the conversation and yes. brings part of themselves and like right. making that kind of a requirement, you know, right. Right, right. Um, it's harder. But I think, I think, you know, that's, that's something that we can do. Yeah. What do you think about uh, uh, d- d- like highbrow and lowbrow design? This might be a stupid question, but... <laughs> But um, I think about it all the time when it comes to like the, even the world of music. Uh-huh. You know, I I, I think of uh, Cardi B yeah, yeah. all the time, and I love Cardi B. I think she's I think she's amazing. Uh-huh. I think she's brilliant, and actually, and I like her music a lot. But uh, like I, I I think about like the the voice that she represents, um um and mm-hmm. and how and and how she she speaks to a demographic that is traditionally underserved. Yeah. Do you know? For sure. Um, but there are still very much like two different worlds when it comes to, yeah. you know? Like, I get you. Yeah. yeah. Is, is there ever a convergence or are we aiming towards a singularity of some well, sort? Well, it's weird because, you know, when you bring up the cart, it, Cardi B, I think of Tiffany Haddish too. Yes. Somebody who is unapologetically themselves, you Absolutely. know? And I feel like, yes, they are not the norm or the standard or they're not kind yes. of this, you know, uppity, uh, they're not bringing up an uppity thing to their field, you know, to acting, to music, right. etc. But what they do is they remind you that it's okay to be you. And like, that's right. actually mostly what I take away from them and is such a good reminder, you right. know? Like, don't you think about uh, like the history that we always talk about, like, yeah, yeah. especially within our world, like uh, it's, it's a very public history and mm-hmm. history that's like, you know, that goes back to textbooks and shit. Right. But then when you look mm-hmm. at like amazing figures, like, you know, Tiffany Haddish and also Cardi B, yeah. Like the histories that they bring up are histories that like that that divert from, you know, away from like the, what we're always taught. And like yeah. those go very deep in their own ways, yeah. too. You know, what's so interesting, though, when you think about it, um, it's nice to be unique. Yes. So like, you know, so, you know, there's this idea that maybe you're, you know, I'm, I said I'm like one of five or something in a classroom, whatever sure, it could be. Sure. You know, it's like, yes, that is a burden, but it's also kind of amazing. Yeah. That to is like, amazing. you know, it's, it's a double edged sword. So even, even for them, like, you know, they stand out, they're unique, right. you know, their story has a space. Right. Um, who, um, is there anyone else that you're thinking right now? This is like kind of like catching your eye in that way out of curiosity. That 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 brings out that all that other level of uniqueness. It's just like unapologetic. Yeah, it doesn't have, doesn't have to be like you know a Tiffany Haddish. No, <laughs> but, but like it was definitely any, Tiffany Haddish because I think that was the person that came to mind when you said Cardi B. No, she. I think she's very. I think their their context is are, similar. Yeah, yeah or or you know they they occupy a, 
a similar I mean spirit. honestly even Tiffany Haddish you know her dad is Eritrean to even think about a lot of, of the Eritrean community she's still unique too just her she personality is. her level of outgoingness you know you yeah. think about certain cultures and um maybe the way women are you know are might act or men might act whatever she's herself and she I love herself. it you know and I it was really funny because my mom would be like two days late sending me and my sister links did you see Tiffany Haddish with her dress did you see this <laughs> mom you're late you know but it was you know it, it was my mom was proud and like I didn't know how somebody who was not my generation and who was Eritrean would take it but like right everyone's proud you know right, right. everyone is proud. yeah but it's also it, it was a reminder probably to you know that generation too my mom's generation like be you we love you, you know? Right. Yeah. So kind of similar but different. And someone I was never really a fan of at the beginning is uh, Bruno Mars. Oh, yeah. Never a fan oh, of okay. Bruno Mars, really. Yes. At least early, early, early on. Like, you know, uh, I just, I don't know, just never kind of caught on. What? But his music, his performance, what? I thought that early on, he was a bit of a cornball, uh-huh. to be 100% honest. Yeah. And I think when he first came on with like B.O.B. and... I'm, I'm trying to remember like what year this was exactly, maybe like 2012, 2013 yeah. or whatever. That I, I just wasn't into that level of pop sensibility. Yeah. And then something changed in my psyche. And because he just happens to be, um, he uh, he's Filipino. He's part yeah, Filipino. yeah, yeah. No, I knew when you brought it, I was like, yep, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> let's, like, talk about <laughs> let's talk about it. It's a conversation point. Um, now I'm just like way more about him now just because I think culturally he he's... He's adding to the depth of yeah. what my culture can bring to the table. Yeah. You know, from a from a performance level, yeah. from a dancing level. I mean, Filipinos could always dance. Like, you know what I mean? Um, especially because Filipinos <laughs> were all part, like every season of America's Best Dance Crew. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think there was that understanding. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, now I'm just like, maybe it's just because it's 2018 and the conversation is what the conversation is. Yeah. But like now I'm just like so much about like brown pride right now. I'm like, yeah. I'm trying to... I'm debating on on how much of myself that is truly yeah. and how much of that self is me wanting to be vocal about it because yeah. of the climate that we're in. Yeah. You know? And just yeah, and maybe just like the lack of representation too. It's nice to see um, him out there being successful and doing good work. I love Bruno Mars. <laughs> I think I have I think something about like artists who like can dance really good and yeah. sing well. I'm like, wow, they're great performers. Totally. And this song is so catchy. But he is so controversial. Like, and not him himself. The subject of him is so controversial on the internet. Oh, Which is on. about like, oh, is he appropriating, you know, Michael Jackson's style and this, right. this, and this. But you know what? It's, it's, are we not all inspired by people we admire? Yes. Um, to a certain level, yes. I, I mean, I don't know within like the performing arts what's like the 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 uh, yeah the um I don't know what the parameters are yeah, the and, overboard or you're good yeah, or whatever yeah yeah like like what what lanes of yeah. authenticity you're allowed to be in I'm personally okay with it I'm personally okay with it too but that said I don't necessarily participate in that conversation yeah, yeah. I, i'm when i say the, uh, what i see online i'm mostly reading comments not even commenting myself but right. <laughs> <laughs> you know for me what what i if i could have a hot take mm-hmm. my, my hot take would be i think that the style of music that he represents was a bear, at least created in america yeah. You know what I mean? Is a derivative of Motown yep. and Detroit Sound, yep. which is American to me, mm-hmm. but holistic of the, uh, inclusive of the American melting pot mindset. And I think that 
over time that that sound in terms of everyone that's touched it along the way that sound has samurai sorted itself mm-hmm. um like you know the, the the thought of like you know metal folding upon metal yeah, to yeah, sort yeah. something like pointed and and strong yeah that uh mathematically speaking one could you know, really crank out the hits <laughs> within that sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Whether it's Bruno Mars or in anybody else. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that the, for me, there is somewhat of a, a group ownership of that. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, maybe that's. A I mean, hot maybe take. it's also no. I mean, I also think it's like him being inspired by black music. I mean, Motown yeah. is black music. You it know, is, yeah. and maybe that's like the area of like grayness for some people. But I also think that's great. Like I would love to have um, a ton of black designers to choose from and be inspired by, you know? So like in some way, when you think that you have all of these people to look up up to um, and be inspired by and have it affect your work, like Bruno Mars, that's kind of awesome. It is kind of awesome. I mean, music maybe is a different conversation. Like, you know, music is or had, there are a lot of roots with just like, you know, black people making great music and a lot totally. of folks are inspired by that. But, you know, I'm jealous in terms of design community. I wish I had that too, you know? I'm like, oh, totally. I'm yeah. Well, you know, as a Filipino person, well, and a Filipino person turning 37 this year, uh-huh. uh, I, when I was growing up, there were no, there was no other culture for me to even turn to. Yeah. In, in terms of like what, what I thought was cool. Because what, people, what do you mean? Just like, in terms of design or you just mean life? I mean, in terms of life. Oh. Um, because a lot of Filipinos specifically came to the States, uh, I guess in the 60s and 70s, yeah. in like the second Asian wave yeah. after uh, the uh, initial wave in the in the early uh, 1900s. And then uh, there was a big immigration wave of Filipinos specifically in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. So, there were, so we basically came here um, with, you know, uh, with a blank slate. Yeah. And then you're coming here and then you're absorbing American culture and then you're not seeing people that look like you on TV at all. Yeah. But like even now, it's like I never see Asian people on TV in yeah. general. You know, it's yeah. kind of fucked up. Well, um, I'm, I'm sure there's a Filipino channels. Like if you wanted to watch that and subscribe to those channels, you could. Yes, you could. Same with me, but. Yes, you exactly. You <laughs> could, but if you wanted to, if you wanted to, acclimate oneself to American culture. Yeah, yeah. That's just no. not, that's not the route. Nope. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> so, Filipinos, we, we latched onto uh, black culture mm-hmm. and also uh, Hispanic culture. Okay. And I, because I think uh, we, we felt akin to Latinos mm-hmm. because we shared the same Spanish heritage. Yeah. Yep. You know, that con- that connection. Yes. And, um, you know, black music is just dope, yeah. <laughs> you know? So we, d- we just listen to hip hop. Like all yeah. I know is hip hop. Yeah. That's, that's truly like uh-huh. the thing that like one of the reasons I want, one of the reasons I wanted to work at MTV was because I wanted to work on new MTV raps. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that was really cool. a selling point for me. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it's like the, the Bruno Mars conversation is complicated. Definitely, it is. It's complex. Yeah, well, you know the thing you said about uh, not having to like look up to people or like embrace culture that was your own once you're an American. It's like everything else is kind of what you're you're right. taking in. You know, I remember my mom telling me like, you know, because I struggle with the feeling of how I feel about being not fluent in my native language. You know, but my mom said like, oh yeah, the doctors were telling me it's it's bad for kids to learn multiple language. And I think that was kind of just like the talk of the eighties. And I've talked to other oh, so kids who like grew up around the same time as us. And I was like, wow. Yeah. 
you know. It's weird. But Maybe like, I'm rationalizing it. No, I don't know. That's not cool, though. <laughs> I should know what, it. What, to not rationalize? No, that but, I should know it. I feel bad about that. Listen, it's not on Duolingo. I need it. Right. No, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's a hard thing to sit with. But also, it's like this idea... Um, like when I'm in Eritrea, I'm American. When I'm here, I feel more Eritrean, you know? Sure. Because I feel like visually, oh, every, you know, well, America is a mixture of people anyway, but like, it's always like there's a backstory behind why somebody talks a certain way, looks a certain way, whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but. I'm going to say one last thing on Bruno Mars. Okay. <laughs> really quick. Is that uh, if a person's good at the thing that he or she is doing, they'll let him be fucking good at it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, like- like there are a lot of amazing Filipino breakdancers and b-boys uh-huh. it's like we didn't originate it but if That's the true. dude is spinning on his fucking head and he's great at spinning on his head yeah. you're gonna tell him to stop spinning on his head yeah it's amazing yeah. yeah that's true you know yeah so that's it I don't know yeah cool <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird tangent that we just <laughs> that we went off on I know um, so, um, out of curiosity, so what's yeah. next for you? Like, what, what are you, what are you doing? What's next? Yeah, oh, man, what, I don't know what's next. You know, I, having been involved on a political campaign, I think changed my idea of, um, I think being so mapped out in terms of where I think my design life will take me. I think there's half of me, of course, that knows what's going on. I'm, you know, doing great work at every town. I'm involved on the board. Uh, who knows what's going to happen in our world, and where that'll take me. I think I'm kind of open, you know? Well, I'm curious, how do you think about that? Are you like a very future-focused person or how do you think about your career and your life, like in terms of design? How do I think about my, yeah. my career and my life? Like I'm always, like I feel like there's people who are like very planned or there are people who are like, I'm gonna do this and that's it, you know? Or they're, I don't know, so many things. I'm always fascinated by that though. I am very future-focused and, okay. and I, I, I always feel like, Wow, I get to I get to show up here, uh-huh. do what I do, and uh, yeah, I'm working here, living yeah. here. Um, even when I was at Nike, I was like, wow, I get to work on yeah. this. Like, I get to you know work on these shoes. Yeah. And before that, I was like, oh, I get to you know I get to make, put this make this mural. I get to do this thing, a double yeah. XL or whatever. You know. Yeah. Um, and it's I'm kind of in that place of uh, scratching off bucket list points. Yeah. Oh, you nice. know. Okay. Yeah. So I I don't really have a five-year plan in terms of like i want to be there specifically yeah 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 but i think in terms of the things that i want to accomplish <clears throat> and i think also in terms of um of the energy i want to put out into the world like yeah. even with this podcast it's like i i want this i want people to feel this because i think yeah it's amazing to talk to people like you and and put your energy in the world yeah and 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 feel that and also to to physically sit in your presence and be able to do this so my future is really dictated by by the energy and the experiences i want yeah you know like i could honestly really truly um uh, tomorrow have nothing and then i'd be kind of okay with it because i've because you feel like you've pushed yourself and you've done amazing things right yeah i feel that yeah i genuinely it do sounds feel like that. you're just like like you're still like wow this thing is happening that i yeah. get to come here yeah yeah i've had a few moments like that lately or like this idea of like you know not realizing that um, certain things would have happened in uh, various ways in my career and being like, you know what? Things turned out great. Like, yeah. and I'm glad. Absolutely. And I, I don't take that for granted for one minute. Um, yeah. All right. But it's a good feeling. 
Yeah, that is a really good yeah. feeling. But I also think it's like there it's like we're in a space where um we have opportunities and a lot of privilege too. I think you having this podcast is great and you you have the ability to bring different voices to the table. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for making conversations I think about culture and differences easier. It's yeah. nice to have those types of conversations. I think so because we need that. Yeah, I think we do. Like it's it, it's always hard to broach a topic of conversation mm-hmm. when you're not 100% sure of what it is you're even trying to to get at from like yeah, from an true. outcome. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like I don't know what the outcome is of this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's more of like it's for me it's about discovery. Yeah. I like to just learn a little bit more and then just kind of like, you know, it, it's uh, I'm really just putting out the feelers and seeing what's okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. All right, so while we're winding down, um, it's been a pleasure. I do have one last question. Um, is the AHGA going to be hard? Are they really going to push us? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm one of the VPs this year. Right. And remember, I'm organized and I usually have goals, but it's a collective thing. Um, it's going to be great. There's going to be a lot of space to insert uh, your knowledge and expertise um, but and collaborate with everyone. I feel like everyone has such interesting stories and backgrounds it's going to be awesome it's not even about be being hard it's about us doing everything together we'll figure it out it's going to be good awesome yeah i love when things are hard actually yeah it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a a challenge but a good challenge that's why you signed up for it anyway that's absolutely true 110 you got it (laughs) um you want to let the listeners know where they can find you sure i think my website is the best place idawoldemichael.com i-d-a-w-o-l-d-e michael Ida, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And I'll see you at those meetings. Pretty much. (laughs) So thanks again for joining us for the beginning of season three of First Generation Burden. Make sure you come back next week for another episode. It's going to be a really fun one. Make sure that you subscribe to us on iTunes to get those regular updates. Also, if you want to follow me on social media, it's just at Rich underscore T-U on Instagram and Twitter and all those other places. Also, thanks to Des Jin, our sponsor. Ben Sounds on Music. Thanks for listening. See you next week.